Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Become Fire podcast. This is your host for the second week in a row, Father Peter Teresa McConnell, FHS. Hello, hello. And I am joined by my fellow friar friend, Father Anthony Tinker. I feel welcome. You're welcome. You're very welcome welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm hosting again because uh, we are going to be interviewing you, Father, on your reflections on The Chosen Season 3. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to encourage all of you to please like and subscribe to this podcast. It is my understanding, I don't really know how social media works, but it's my understanding that the more likes and subscriptions we get, uh, the more uh, it gets exposed to other people so that they can find this and follow along with us and support us. And we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. So if you can just take the 10 seconds it takes to click the like button and subscribe, uh, please go ahead and do that. But Mm -hmm. So, Father, uh, we just did last episode your reflections on uh, a little bit of season two and then some some broad highlights of season three. So if you don't mind, I just want to jump right back into uh, season three of The Chosen. And I'm thinking if you could just give us maybe just we'll go through three or maybe four, you know, how much time we got? Okay. Three or four, maybe just really uh poignant scenes, beautiful scenes, highlight scenes for you of this past season of The Chosen. Uh, I love what they did with Joseph. Okay, so that's really exciting for me because I haven't seen this and I love St. Joseph. So I'm glad to hear that my man gets a good representation. He does. They have this interesting aspect where they, basically Joseph's family has been passing on. Can I just ask a question real quick? Yes. Is this a flashback? Yeah, it's a flashback. Okay, okay. I was like, wait a second. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, this is a flashback. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> if he was alive, I would. <laughs> yeah, I would be, like, be on my highlights. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, um, please. No, he passed. It's back to his childhood, and Joseph okay. has passed on this bridle for a uh, a donkey. That mm. It's just like a family heirloom that they brought, which they they I think it was like they brought it out of Egypt. Like they were, their family like rode a donkey and it was like a remembrance of coming out of Egypt, just something like that. And they okay. were passing it on from generation to generation and begin with Joseph. And Joseph's like, he's like, well, I don't have a son in one sense, like a natural son, but you're my son. Yes. And I'm, I'm gonna give this to you as, as a gift. And and one, they just the fact that it's acknowledging Joseph doesn't have any other children. Yes, uh, you know it's a young Joseph. You know, so just yeah, some, those some are two things, wins, a big win. And then there's just this beautiful like father son. He's out there like working on on something, some carpentry, and he sits his son down and has this beautiful father son moment with him. In this, I need to tell you about this gift that I've received. Um, what's been given to me, I want to hand it on to you as a gift that that I've, you know, we men have been handing on from generation to generation. And you also know that Jesus, he so he, he goes to Nazareth for the last time, right before the scene of a nice scene of him, pretty accurate uh, in Nazareth preaching and everybody rebels against him because he basically does call himself the son of God and they want to throw him off a cliff. Okay, yeah, and, Luke 4. Yeah, Luke, and then he's, he's like, no. He, at the end of the day, they get past the midst, they get to the cliff and he turns around and it's like, you're not going to do this. 
and then just walks to it. It's kind oh, of interesting. interesting. That's how they. That's how they how sort of. How does he pass through it's the? It's not mess. like oh, he's just like where did Jesus go? It's, it's not like, the super spiritual cliff. thing. Like it's two of his friends because Nazareth, like two guys who he knows, are about to like, and he's like, you're not going to do this, and just walks away, like mm-hmm. knowing it's not his time. Kind of called their bluff a little bit, but in that you like he's back in Nazareth and he comes. He's like, is the box here to Mary? And she's like, it's under your bed. And he goes and he pulls it out and has this memory. But knowing that he's going to use this bridle to ride a donkey into Jerusalem, right. they're given that foreshadowing. Yes. Like he wants to grab it because it's pointing to, like, I know the cross is coming. His hour His is, hour is drawing near, near him. Mm-hmm. So the beautiful, just the pointing towards the hour, the this beautiful father-son moment. Um, this, it was all this. And this is, this is a representation of the freedom of the people from slavery um, and the, the, how they got out of Egypt and now it's being passed on to him who's going to ride into Jerusalem with it. I love the imagery. I love the scene. I love the portrayal of Joseph. Yeah. So that was a really beautiful aspect of the the chosen. That is really beautiful. It. I think it's also, there's something about that that is very, very important and very, very timely for us as a people. Um, because that's what fathers and grandfathers do is that they hand things down to their sons. Um, and, and it's where we even get this word patrimony from where the, our, the patrimony we have is that, that which we have received from our fathers patrimony come from the Latin word pater father. Um, and so, you know, there's all of this, you know, sort of rebellion against like the patriarchy and and the patrimony and things like that. And so, but just to recognize that, that to do that really then severs us from those who have come before us. And I think there's just a real strong tendency to look back on those who have come before us in this extremely critical lens as if somehow we're so much superior and enlightened and morally upright. And those who came before us were, you know, these terrible people. And, and so, but, uh, I just, I, I kind of just love that as, as like an image of the faith as, as the father handing something down to the son and then the son handing something on. And these things just get passed down from generation to generation, generation. And every, every family has their, their heirlooms. Um, and if they don't have their heirlooms then they have their stories. Um, and those are the things that get passed down. And those are the things that, that bind us together as a as a people, as a community, um, and so I, I uh, that, that seems uh, just that 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 image is really really beautiful. Just point, we have too much stuff, <laughs> and when you have too much stuff, that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like mom and dad die, and you have a house full of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, maybe I have some memories of my childhood, etc. But when the father says like I have this, which my father gave to me, yes, which I'm passing on to you. And it, th- there's so much symbolism there mm-hmm. that like, start the tradition now. Maybe this hasn't happened in your sure, family. Yeah. I just encourage fathers out there for your sons to say, you know what? We want to have something that's that I can pass on, that I want you to pass on to your son, to give on, that that is a representation of, like for, this was our freedom from Egypt, like our, our yep. Catholic faith, our, yep. uh, you know, my conversion experience, whatever it might be, to say here, there's a representation of something important to our family 
that I want to pass on to you and I want you to pass on to your son as well to, to show the manhood. And when he's ready, when it's time, yeah. some kind of ceremony to say, you're a man now and I want you to receive this gift. It's, it's I think maybe part of the reason, you're right, we have so much stuff. And, and with it, we have so much new stuff. Yeah. That well, what I also find really interesting about that scene is that like the technology of the bridal did not change for like generations, right. and now the things that we pass on actually might have no longer have any practical use. You know, even if like you hand down like your father's revolver or your like your grandfather's like musket or something like that, like you know these 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 things of technology has so far surpassed them. But and and there's more efficient ways of doing these things, but. Just staying connected to that is 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 really what it's all about. I think so. I'm glad to hear Joseph uh, gets a, gets a beautiful scene that makes me super happy. So, what's a, another one of your highlight scenes from season three? So the they do the Jairus story and the Veronica. I touched on this last time. Yes, but both very emotional. Mm. It's hard not to get teared. <laughs> I get teared up pretty easily. So which people are shocked about. They're like, really. Yeah, yes, I get teared up very easily. Yeah. So, but the the ver, like ver, when Veronica, you see her, the, they go through the backstory about like she's an outcast. She's trying to like clean, you know, stuff for people. She does laundry, especially the laundry. Woman. So this is the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' yes, garment. Like, who, who they call Veronica. Yes. And uh, that story of the gospel where she grows through the crowd and touches the hem. And they tell her backstory how she tries to do laundry for people and it just to sneak by because she can't touch you know things and she's trying to hide this. This, this shame. She becomes friends with Eden in this whole like sorrow. And she's like, she comes and moves over near Nazareth or just to be near Jesus. Cause she wants to, to she knows if okay. I encounter him in her faith in this, the reaching out and the touching and her healing. And it's just make this very beautiful because you get the backstory, beautiful touching moment. Yeah. And, and she gets all emotional and, uh, and then that's such, and then Jairus, you get the whole backstory too about with his, his daughter, daughter. Yeah. getting sick and dying and the whole, and he's a synagogue official. So he's heard about Jesus and he's kind of reflecting upon him. He's like, can there really be healing? Like I, my daughter needs to be healed. And, right. and what does it mean? And and his daughters get sick and he's like, I need, G the doctor said they can't do anything. I need Jesus. And he goes and falls down before Jesus. I'm like, please mm. help. And Jesus is going with him. And and then Jesus just saying, Talitha kum, mm -hmm. rise and seeing the girl get up and just seeing the whole family get emotional. Yeah. That's another just beautiful, beautiful. So they just, those moments. Yeah. You know, a little bit the backstory, which is, like I said, it's reflections. It's not necessarily, yeah. it's all completely accurate. It's a nice reflection to think about, yeah. about how it happened. But those particular moments when the woman touches the hem of his garment and is healed, and the moment when Jesus speaks to Lithukum, little girl arise right before Jairus and his wife are both just such powerful, wow. powerful scenes. In the gospels reading them, but then just how they portrayed them as well. Yeah. What for you, so like what for you really just maybe artistically really makes it so emotionally evocative? Is it like the performance of Jonathan Rumi? Is it how they set it all up? Is it like? Um, Good question. I think. Um, like the, the, how, how do, like how the, artistically do they bring yeah, that the, to the, life? The, the, the way they, they're healing her backstory. Because now you're, uh, you see her distress. Hmm. She's just an outcast. Yeah, she's alone. She she can't be with. You know, she's just been struggling. You just see her struggle. They get into the poverty of this woman, the struggles she's been. Like this isn't like you get the full sense of the years that she's been spending everything she has to try and get fixed and yeah, on. and and the difficulty she has on a day to day basis because she's unclean. Yeah, and, and but then the other moment itself. 
like they're just walking around the whole crowd. They're like people are like they, they have this whole tent city thing where there's all these people who've come to Nazareth and they're trying to find Jesus. But hmm. He's like always oh, always out praying. They can never find him. <laughs> so finally, he's seen and so yeah. this huge crowd yeah. emerges yeah. to try and get him. And and he's trying to press through. And Jairus is like flipping out. It's like we gotta hurt, you know. So right. and then all of a sudden, she just like makes a beeline for it. And people recognize her like, ah, you know, but, but there's such a crowd, they can't do anything. And she just jumps down and you see Jonathan Rumi, almost like he gets struck by lightning. He just kind of does this like, okay. This really beautiful, like, yes. like Jesus senses power leaving. Right. Just stops. Yes. And they have the music, that, you know, the build up with the music and everything. Then all of a sudden just stops like silently. And you're just like, Whoo. and she's like, who touched me? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, you just see her just crying, you know, just emotional. And you see him like get down and like hold her and like your faith has saved you. You know, yes. just this beautiful, intimate moment yeah. of of Jesus pouring out his heart on someone who is desperate, but has, has such great faith. Yeah, no, that's really, really beautiful. Uh, it even, it is such a mysterious thing because it does not seem like Jesus is is actively willing this healing. You know what I mean? It does seem like he is, there is this passivity to the person of Jesus in this moment where he's not, his, 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 his attention seems to be elsewhere and he senses the healing power, the healing virtue leave from him. And he, he asked the question, you know, who touched me? Um, and it, uh, yeah, that that's it's kind of unpacking that and, and holding Jesus' divinity and his humanity kind of together there in that scene. And uh, that sounds really, really beautiful. Um, okay, so what would be uh, another really kind of peak? Yeah, my third. Your peak. Hit, hitting the peak moments here. Uh, I want to talk about, I like what they're doing with Judas. Okay. I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because Judas is the last apostle to show up. He shows at the very end of season two. Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount and Judas shows up to the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, I got to follow this guy. Mm-hmm. He gets accepted in. So you see him get accepted into the group at the very beginning of season three. And you see there, there's this moment where he's about to send him out two by two. He sends Peter and Judas together, which also I find just a fascinating. Yeah, those are the two guys at the end who kind of go different ways, don't they? But they want their... They're kind of like, hey, how do we like? Jesus, don't take any money. There's this whole money question. What's how are we doing? Deal with the money, etc. And they're like, well, Matthew, you're the natural choice. And Matthew's like, I swore it off. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm not. I've, that was that's a different life. And I, please don't make me go back. <laughs> He's like, but I, but sure. Jude, like Judas, you know, because we see Judas was like a seller, sure, like, yeah. beforehand. Um, in season two, he's like, he's, he sells. He actually kind of rips a guy off, you know. Judas. Judas. He sure, and his yeah. partner. They're they're trying to buy this property and they rip a guy off, basically. Mm-hmm. To see he's got a little bit of that that aspect to him. And then um they're like Judas, Judas kind of and they're like, okay. So Judas becomes the handler of money. And he's like working with the women to purchase the field, set up the finances. He's he's just going in this. I wonder um, if this can be the very same field that then the officials buy with the the money that he gives back at the end. That's interesting. Possible. Yes, I would damn you that. Well, that would have yeah. been up in Nazareth. I'd, maybe they buy a field. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, okay. yeah, I don't where, know where the potter's field is. is. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's that's very. It's very much. He's very relatable. He's very just another one of the apostles mm-hmm. doing good things uh, on on board with Jesus, loving what's being preached. Like there's no indication 
um, of in any of the time of him stealing anything and doing anything wrong. He's all pro. Let's build up this ministry. Let's get this going, etc. And so I'm just I like the way that they're kind of setting everything up for him. Yes, because eventually, obviously, when there'll be a turn, he'll start mm-hmm. stealing. Why is he stealing? You know what happens? He does. There's a moment where he's got, like he gives the deed of his house to his sister. So, you know, he has a sister. Like, is he stealing to provide for her? Mm-hmm. Like, is there some kind of natural cause that he feels he needs to take care of? So. I'm interested as to see how they do that, what they do. But I'm, I like how it hasn't like Judas isn't like this dark, creepy figure in the back. The whole time. <laughs> yes. They're making him, integrating him in, making him a, a yeah. part of the group who's a friend of Jesus who turns. It seems like a really important narrative choice, artistic choice uh, with Judas. I mean, it seems like that's something very, very plausible, you know. Um, and... And I think it's also a worthy reflection and a very timely reflection for us that, you know, why does Jesus knows, Jesus knows what's going to happen to this guy. And, and there's kind of that, that mystery of like the destiny, you know what I mean? Uh, Which way will Judas go and, and how does one who sets out with such noble intentions fall so far? And, you know, and that's something that we experience, you know, far too often. And it seems like in our day and age, there's always a new attorney general report coming out, it seems like, of, of people who the, the I, I don't want, yeah, they're just the Judases in our midst, yeah. um, especially amongst that chosen band of, of men who, whom are called to help lead, you know, God's uh, kingdom here on earth as the church. And so, and that's always the, the question is how does this happen? How does this happen? How does a priest do this? How does a religious do this? How does a bishop do this? And, and just that mystery of evil, uh, just there present, um, kind of latent hidden, you know, it's, it's in each of their hearts. Obviously you see them, kind of bickering with each other and struggling and, and competing with one another and jockeying as the chosen kind of does. And, um, and so it will be really, I think it will be really, really interesting to see how this, how that mystery of iniquity unfolds. Um, yeah, that's, that'll be interesting. And now some low lights. Uh, yeah, let's do I the low lights. I, I can name some other highlights. I just want to make sure we get through everything here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's, uh, Let's, what are some of the things that you, you know, didn't particularly enjoy? So Thomas is in love with Rayma. They started it season one. Okay. Uh, his, his partner. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They kind of had that fling. And so you kind of see it. And so basically Thomas expresses the fact that he loves her to Zebedee and John and James. And then Rayma expresses that love to Mary Magdalene and uh, Salome, I think it is. Okay. Uh, and then they, uh, they basically, Thomas goes and asks Jesus, can I have, I, I want your permission to go ask Ramah's father for her hand in marriage. And Jesus is all like, well, that's why I'm sending you two by two to that her near her city so okay. you can go and talk to her father. Okay. So Jesus gives his blessing for Thomas to, okay. to marry Ramah. Um, why don't I like that? Well, because uh, there's just an understanding of celibacy. Mm-hmm. It's our understanding of church that, Yes, Peter was married. Yeah, he had a mother-in-law. Um, That's in the it, Gospels. It's possible. I mean, it's possible the others are married, but that they started living a celibate life in imitation of Jesus. 
um, when they became apostles. So Peter even says, hey, Jesus, we've left house, father, mother, sister, brother, wife, children for your sake. Yeah. So Peter's expressing, we've left all these things to follow you. What are we getting in return? And Jesus mm-hmm. like, well, you'll have you know, all this and more in the, in the kingdom. Expressing, even Paul, who's an apostle, talks about, you know, I'd rather you be like me, mm-hmm. you know, one who is living a celibate life. Yes. Know? But if you need to get married, you can get married. Mm-hmm. So it's an understanding it from tradition that's, that they forsook everything for the gospel. Yeah. So these like little loves, like, oh, I'm in love with this woman. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are there natural attractions? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, did that, did that happen among, you know, the women who are helping out and the disciples? Possible. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, it doesn't, the, but they don't interact the way that apostles and it's just, it's just modern Protestantism, like coming sure, into sure, sure, an expression yeah. on, the, yeah. on the big screen. Yeah. Like that's not how I don't think like men and women would have interacted mm-hmm. in 2000 years ago in Israel, mm-hmm. just the dynamics and where the, what the men would have been doing and like having tents all together in the same, just, <laughs> it, they, they, there's this, okay, this doesn't sure, seem sure, sure. very accurate. We're reading back into a little bit, projecting our, our, yeah, sure. And so it's this, you know, the marital issues between Peter and Eden, we got to bring this up because there's a modern issue. It's something I enjoyed, but I don't think it's accurate. I'm yeah. put that different. I liked what they did. I don't think it's accurate. Right. I, 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 and just with Thomas and, and Raymond, it's like, this this isn't accurate. And I don't like the direction you're going in it because right. this these men, you know, forsook something for the sake of the mm-hmm. gospel, which apostles have been doing and for yes. 2,000 years. Yes. And even, even when there was a time when priests were getting married, they were called to live celibately, um, especially before the Eucharistic sacrifice. Right. And uh, bishops have never been married yeah. in the history of the church. Yeah, and, and monks have been around. You know, you know, the whole time. so yeah, celibacy has, has been a thing in the church forever. And the, and the virgins were, the virgin martyrs were highly esteemed and the heroes of the church and things like that. And so, yeah, I think like, I think you made the point last time that the, this is fiction. And so, as you know, they're taking great artistic license to, to kind of flesh out some of these questions that we have, you know what I mean? And you know, faithful married couples struggling with miscarriages and things like that. And so it's, you know, it's communicating truth, but it's not communicating like fact or history. Um, and so it's, it's just a way of doing that. It's, it's, that's what stories are meant to do. And so, but yes, that's not, it's, it would be divergent from our Catholic understanding of, of the, apost- the apostles. Uh, and then, Another low light for me. It's really a low light. It's just this implication, but they give both implications. But Jesus goes to Nazareth mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, to Mary, where are James and, um, oh my goodness, I forget, the other brother of Jesus from the from the Gospels. Sure, sure, sure. Um, anyway, there's implications that Jesus has brothers in the gospel, but the biblical word, they're cousins. And we know they're cousins because their mother is named Mary, who's also at the-, at, at the right. um, Foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. Yep. Other than they, they marry and they name Mary right. uh, Magdalene, they name Mary the mother of Jesus and Mary the mother of James. And um, oh my name is. Is, is, is it Joseph? I don't know. I, don't, yeah, I, can't, remember, I can't remember either. Anyway, the moment, yeah. the, but so Jesus goes, like, oh, where are the boys? Like, as if James should be in the house. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So it's like, well, what is that implying? Like, is it implying right. that they're actual brothers? Is it implying that they're cousins who Mary raised? It's very close. Are they, or, yeah. are they not? Like, what, what implications are you giving? At the same time, like I said before, Joseph, it seems like he has no other sons mm-hmm. and gives the bridal because he's his only son. It's like, right. I don't have any sons of my own. So it's implication of Joseph not having a son. So they kind of like are playing with this. Why are you bringing this up? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Right. Why does it need to be mentioned? Right. It kind of is implied. It's like this, oh, he's got brothers, but they're not there because they didn't want to you know for whatever reason I, it's I, I just didn't i don't know what they're going doing with that i don't know what they're trying they're trying to right. like thread this needle between what catholics believe and protestants believe i don't know right just stick to the truth and that is i think it, it speaks to something that's kind of really really obvious when you like really get and in, dig into these things is that like there are these interesting lines of scripture that are not immediately intelligible um, and and can lend themselves to a variety of interpretations and some of them being diametrically opposed. Jesus having blood brothers and Jesus not having blood brothers. And you can read the text either way. And so it's kind of, it, it just demonstrates that, you know, that, that the, the scripture alone is sufficient. Um, and it's like, well, no, we actually need um, an authority beside scripture to authentically interpret it for us because we can so miss so we can so easily misinterpret it you know and i think this i think that perfectly demonstrates that problem why we need a church yeah. um, for a lot of reasons but that's yeah. one of them but again it's not a huge low light right and next one this next one isn't a huge light but peter and gaius Okay. He's a Roman official who they're setting up to be the Roman centurion. He has a sick son. Yeah. You know, you know he's going to be the guy who goes out, you know, says, I'm, um, I, Jesus, you know, heal my son. Okay. I, yes. I have, you know, they're, they're setting, just the setting it up. Yeah. Know, it's all set yeah. up there. You meet the son. It's his actual son, but it's the son from a woman who he slept with who was a slave. And okay. It's all this stuff. Yeah. They get setting up the backstory. It's what they do. Yep. But now Gaius and Peter are like buds. Mm-hmm. And they're like working on a well together and like hanging out. Mm-hmm. And like Peter ends up going to the Roman quarter and like and that's how you get to see him in his house so they can see his son. I, I don't think Peter and the Romans were hanging out. <laughs> like eventually. Sure. Like sure, post sure. the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. But this is not this is still like huge tension between Jews mm-hmm. and Romans and like the fact that he, one, that a Roman would want to have anything to do with mm-hmm. a Jew, uh, but also a Jew, anything to do with a Roman at mm-hmm. that time that it's just, and, and that somehow like this, this huge like Roman official is going to get like in the dirt and like do a, dig a well right. for the, for the city. Yeah. Like, no, he's going to have somebody else do that. Yeah. Like his servants. Yeah. Not, or he's going to force all the Jews. Like there's this, the whole issue it's just all about a like why you, like i know what you're trying to do because hollywood and you're setting things up yeah i don't think it helps the story just to have this relationship between yeah peter and this roman official it sounds like to me without ever seeing and just hearing this for the first time from you is like i wonder if they're trying to like just play with the question of like how does a believer interact with pagans in a pagan world because i mean that's what we live in now. We like yeah. we live in a post-Christian world, America. There's a lot of pagans running around, people who are totally godless. And how does one who is trying to follow Jesus like relate and interact with them? You know, and so that's it's an interesting it's an interesting question I, artistically to try to demonstrate. But I that that, that does sound a little Again, far, a little far-fetched. They're not yeah. huge little lights. 
uh, again, it's kind of, I just, this is just a certain guy's individual reflections. We yeah. talked about before. The low light is, this yep. is based on a true story. Yeah. And if you think it is a true story, it, yeah. is, it is a true story in the fact that Jesus is true, but these reflections right. and what the apostles are doing, et cetera, yeah. are just uh, an individual's thought process, some of which I think are accurate, some of which are not. And again, the whole like apostles and their relationships mm-hmm. are um, used quite well as far as mm-hmm. Peter Eden, but I don't think accurate. No, it makes little sense. And that just brings us full circle to our our passionate plea to just read the gospels yourself and really just pray with them. Um, and, and if you're not an overly imaginative person, that's okay. You can bring your hearts to it. Um, and if you're reading a gospel story and if there's something that's confusing, something that's upsetting, something that... Um, evokes any sort of reaction out of you, I would say stop right there and start digging into that. Like yeah. that is the Holy Spirit. That is the the inspired word um, trying to pull something out of your heart that God really wants to speak to. Yeah. So Father, our, we're coming to that time. I have my final question for you. So my understanding is that there's going to be seven seasons. Okay, interesting. Uh, that's my understanding. Don't I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I obviously haven't seen the last two. So, but my understanding was that they set out that they want to try to tell the the gospel stories in seven seasons. So we're we're getting close to the halfway mark. What scene ha- that they have not done yet are you looking forward to their portrayal of? Interesting question. Oh, wow. Okay. So. I'm top of my head just because we just read it in Lent, but they have um, they, we met Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and that's such a great scene. It's such that's a great, a great answer. Well, but I'm, it's like this. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to it because they've always messed up John. <laughs> yeah, no, I, know. Like this, I know. I know. Like I want to pick a synoptic story yeah, yeah. because you're gonna mess up the John stories. Yeah, no, I get in it. One way or another, but I have hopes. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hope on it. I'm gonna lay it down. They, like Mary is this like real quiet but real faithful person you can see, mm. and uh, and Lazarus just kind of like the friends with Jesus. So they've been introduced to us. They've been introduced. Okay, to cool. Nazareth. They even like the story of like Lazarus and Jesus playing together as babies. So there's this whole relationship there. They're building up the friendship. Yeah. So I am looking forward to the death of Lazarus and Jesus bringing him back to life and just how they do it, the emotion of it, him coming out of the tomb, how they play with Martha and Mary. I think I have hopes that it'll be a beautiful scene. Yeah, no, Lazarus is one of my most favorite chapters of all the gospel. Uh, I would say for me, uh, just because we're in the Easter season right now and we're going through some of the the resurrection accounts in mm-hmm. the gospels right now. And for some reason, they're just hitting me very differently. Yeah. And I find the resurrection accounts, they're just wild stories. Yes. Uh, so like doubting Thomas, like where he puts his hand in Jesus' side, yes. the road to Emmaus, Je- what Jesus is doing in these, in these scenes and these stories is just like, wow. Like yes. this is, so I, I think, I think uh, for me, I w- I'll just, I'll say we'll stick in the in John's gospel because it's, it's, you know, it's my favorite, but uh, yeah, I would just, the, uh, the scene of doubting Thomas, I, I think would be, if they do it, that would be really cool. And hopefully they do it well. So yeah. th- that'd be something to look forward to for me. Um, all right. Well, that wraps up our reflections. Well, I should say mm-hmm. father's reflections on the last two seasons of the chosen. Hopefully I'll get my act together for season four. And him and I can 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 bring you that when it comes out. Uh, so thanks for 
sharing your thoughts with us, Father. Happy to. Yeah. And then a preview next time, we're going to talk about the Camino de Santiago, yes. which I'm about to do. And then you'll get a new group of friars to entertain you for the summer. <laughs> We uh, hope. We hope it'll be entertaining. It, it'll be entertaining for the three of us. At entertaining least. for yeah. three of you, nothing else. We'll talk about that next time, and then we'll hand on to whatever you guys do. Amen. Father, would you please give us your blessing? Lord, we thank you once again for this Easter season, this time of your resurrection glory. We pray that our hearts might be opened up to a deeper experience of what you did when you died and rose again to bring us life. We might experience that life. We might have our hope and trust in you in all things. And my mighty God, bless each and every one of you as I bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.